Alright everyone, welcome back after a long time away here to some discussion of Australian Survivor and uh, with me to do that over the the very very long string between our respective tin cans here is uh, the one and only Dan Liebke. Uh, welcome back to the show Dan. Hi Dom, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I said it's been a while. I, I actually, so this is one of those things that comes up sometimes is you, you go to message someone on Facebook or Twitter or somewhere else and you realize your last discussion was from some pivotal point you know, years and years ago. In our case, it was from when we uh, were in here to talk about Australian Survivor All-Stars back in March 2020. So just as COVID was uh, oh, yeah. taking over the world. Uh, so a, a lot to suffer through there and a lot to suffer through on that season, uh, I think was our consensus as well. And since then, we have had a lot of Australian Survivor uh, culminating just recently in Australian Survivor Heroes vs. Villains. And I think we've seen the best and the worst of what Australian Survivor has to offer over that time. So there's a lot to lot to get to there, a lot to get to today. But I guess a quick lightning round with any thoughts that you have on those seasons that we skipped over in the interim or just the direction of the franchise uh, as a whole here. Uh, well, I, I mean, obviously, before we get to the current season, I, I think the previous season, the Blood versus Water one, uh, that uh, deteriorated pretty rapidly into what we now call meat trays. Uh, but at the time, we didn't have that handy phrase for it. But yeah, there was a lot of uh, big masculine men doing big masculine things, and it got very tiresome very quickly. And uh, yeah, that, that was kind of a, a tedious season. Yeah, I didn't know if that was some specific Australian lingo that I was not privy to uh, across the the very large pond over here. But uh, it, it does seem like uh, within the context of Australian Survivor, that is something that we see an awful lot. Just that kind of uh, that that growing down to the extreme, and it is something which it comes up on U.S. Survivor or other flavors of international Survivor. It feels like it is a very specifically Australian Survivor thing. Like that's something you expect to see more often than not as a default every season. Do you think that is, is there some kind of cultural aspect there? Is it just the casting where every season there's a bunch of these uh, professional former athletes that uh, maybe are not too well equipped with the, the show? Uh, well, what do you think goes into that necessarily? Yeah, I, I think it's the latter more. I mean, it goes all the way back to the first season, right? I, I mean, Mateship's almost a version of uh, meat. I mean, it's almost an anagram of meat, right? Mate, meat. Uh, so, <laughs> mate yeah, train, uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's this with players who don't know much about the game which is you know most of these big manly men who come on they're, they're mostly former athletes who maybe they've seen the game i mean they can't all be your matt rogerses uh but uh matt matchship matt trey uh <laughs> sure, but sure. uh but m m most of the others are these you know big muscle bound guys who don't really know much about the game and i think there's must be just some natural trend of oh well maybe it is all just about the challenges we'll just stick together and if we win all the challenges we win the game right yeah, it, it seems like uh, US Survivor, at least in this modern era, has consciously warded itself off from that, where previously you might have the odd uh, Cliff Robinson or Jeff Ken mm. or, or someone like that, but that felt like a novelty in its own right when that did occur. Uh, and sometimes you had uh, more notorious examples like John Rocker and, and so on. But for the most part, once every few seasons, you would have one of these former athletes, whereas Australian Survivor is every season, you have a handful of them and their natural instinct, I think a lot of the time, is going to be to team up with the other <laughs> former professional athletes and keep the yeah. tribe strong and, and so on. And we even had the the original uh, pioneer of Survivor Mateship on this season, back to, yes, to give it another go. Um, so that maybe, maybe that was inevitable. Maybe we should have uh, seen that coming. But so nowadays, though, US Survivor is consciously casting 
only super fans essentially mm-hmm. and so unless you find that rare unicorn of someone who uh played professional uh football for 10 years and now in their uh brain damage retirement is just watching survivor all day <laughs> you're not going to get that crossover it seems like you, that, that's not going to happen again yeah and i think uh, that that's basically a limitation of uh i mean the australian format in general has to i think appeal more to more to the, the casuals uh, I, I, it's not a big enough market to just uh, you know, aim at super fans. It's got to get on board the casuals, the casuals who love the fire and love the challenges and love all this kind of stuff. So I think they're always going to have to do celebrities. Football codes are, are massive in Australia. So I, I think yeah, that's pretty inevitable that we're, we're going to have to get them for for the foreseeable future, I'm afraid. Yeah, and you come to this uh, as a uh, as a cricket writer in your day yes, job, right? Do. So like you, the, 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 the concept of professional athletes having to find some new direction in life or some midlife crisis once their star has waned is a very familiar one i'm sure yeah yeah but uh yeah yeah we don't have actually get that many i mean lee was a cricketer uh from the very first season as well i think but i think that's pretty much it as far as cricket players go on australian survivor maybe, maybe it doesn't yeah. uh match quite as well to the to the skill set is there far, some... far less tackling in cricket than there is in the various football codes. Is there some like informal hierarchy of uh, sports when it comes to, I guess, Australia in general, but also their representation uh, on Survivor? I, I think it's mostly the football codes, the ones where you know you've got the opportunity to to tackle people and throw them to the ground and do all the kind of things that seem to happen in the at least the very early parts of Australian Survivor. Uh, I think they're the ones most suitable. So yeah, the football codes I think are the number one pick for for the Australian Survivor cast. Do you think that the uh, that the sheer length of the Australian uh, Survivor seasons comes into play there too? Because that, that's one of the most common complaints about the new era is that uh, it, the increased length kind of uh, makes a mockery of what the show used to be and also maybe has, has some downstream effects in terms of, well, you, you have less time to get to know people and so the social game matters less or it feels like those connections are less strong. And so you see just... Uh, people zooming back and forth between alliances and the storyline is less coherent because it kind of has to be. Uh, I'm not sure how much I buy into any of that, but Australian Survivor exists firmly on the other extreme, where it's 40-something, 50-something days. Uh, I'm actually re-watching the 2017 season at the moment, having a great time so far, but it's so jarring in a modern context where you get to day 26 and they're they're excited that the merge is around the corner as opposed (laughs) to getting ready to go home, right? So uh, I, I wonder if... When the season is that long, and there's a level of kind of uh, endurance or stamina that inherently comes with that, if that's more conducive to these kind of uh, these former athletes, I guess so. But uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not completely sure. I, I think. Uh, I think a, a lot of the time you see, you know, the big muscle-bound guys. They're the ones who really struggle with the uh, with the deprivation. So I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that the longer season uh, helps. I, I think there's just some people who are naturally better at being you know, hungry and going with low calories and some who aren't. And I, I'm, I'm not sure you could pick that before the game even starts. I, I think, you know, for, for example, Simon, uh, from all reports, is the, the loveliest person in the world. He certainly didn't come across as, as that in the, the first few, uh, you know, first few weeks of this game. Uh, where and, and I just wonder, you know, to what extent are you just cranky and irritable because you've got no food, you've got no sleep? And maybe some people are just naturally able to cope with that better. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's anything to do with your size or, you know, past playing a football code. 
that, that's a, a very good counterpoint and yeah on, on that current rewatch uh, there's a stretch where Loki who is this, this mammoth of mm. a man right who God God only knows how many calories he's having on uh, any given day back home but now, now that he's reduced to two scoops of rice he is really suffering and you, you can tell yeah. it's just like draining away from him uh, so yeah I mean I'm sure that they are more prone to that than anyone else but uh, those comparisons between the US version and the new era in particular and Australian Survivor uh, in the wake of this season Heroes vs. Villains you've seen a lot of people saying that well Australian Survivor has ruined the US version for me now this is everything I want it to be but I know that it's never going to be like that again uh, and many people you know Shannon uh, Gass and others have I think made a very fair counterpoint they're like okay you're saying that now nobody was saying that after blood versus water no one was saying that this season has set the bar so high that I don't know how I can ever enjoy any other survivor again and I think it's fair to say that Australian survivor the the highs are very high but the lows are very low and uh, in between it can kind of fluctuate back and forth but uh, when when it's great it's some of the best survivor you'll ever see and when it's bad it is such an endless slog that you just are, are begging for it to be over which is why uh, when uh, the topic came up with our patrons of, oh, are you going to be covering Australian Survivor this season? My initial answer was, no, I'm not watching it because last season was so scary and I, I quit before, <laughs> you know, 20 episodes in, I tried to avoid the sunk cost fallacy and just get out of there before wasting any more of my life. Uh, and so I... I wasn't planning to watch unless I heard from reputable sources that you've got to watch a season. And then you and others very quickly uh, said, in effect, you've got to watch a season. And so uh, I think that was after the the Fraser episode, which we'll yes. certainly get to, one of the big high points of the entire season. And so that was only seven episodes in, was able to catch up on that in a lazy afternoon. And after that, yeah, I, I was hooked. I would not consider putting it down again. Yeah, I mean, go, going back to your point, I mean, it is all about the length, right? If it's if it's great, then it's long, and you get to savor like you know hours and hours of this great. You know, you get to savor the George show, the Shawnee show, the Simon show, whatever it happens to be. And when it's uh, when it's not great, you, you as you say, you have to slog through it. And uh, uh, there's there's a reason that Colin's not with us today, right? <laughs> uh, many reasons why Colin is not with us today, for sure. But uh, yeah, I think that. Now, the, the problem is, is because he's waited so long to catch up, Australian Survivor seasons are not that easy to catch up upon in their no. entirety. And even if you're someone who uh, is prone to binging and you're fast-forwarding through the challenges and watching on like 1.25 or 1.5 speed, it still takes a bloody long time to actually get yeah. through a full season. I mean, uh, there's, so- there's a reason I've... I've- Sorry, I mean, there's a reason I've never watched a single season of uh, the US Big Brother or or any Big Brother, really. Right. It's, I, 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 I kind of get tempted every now and then. People will say, this is a good season, this is a great season. And it's like, I don't even really know where to begin and it all seems interminable to me. So I just yeah, kind of say, all right, that, that just won't be part of my watching. I think staying away from Big Brothers is a perfectly fine choice that you don't have to defend at this stage. But uh, yeah, case, well, so- I was thinking more of when you went back and you know did your rewatch of one of the good seasons. Yes. I can't remember yes. which season, but yes, I was tempted, at least in that case, not tempted enough. <laughs> Yeah, at least there with those, like, we, we pick out those seasons, or ideally we, we turn it over to our, our loving patrons to pick those for us and uh, and trust their judgment there. We're not, uh, you know, we're not having to sit through the worst of the worst in real time the way that the, the tariffs yes. of the world and so on uh, are forced to. But coming back <laughs> to Australian Survivor here, uh, so when you heard that it was going to be heroes versus villains uh what were your expectations here because uh, in terms of casting there were a lot of uh former castmates who could have joined shawnee as three timers here um lots of other people who i'm sure would have jumped at the chance to come back and then as we saw with uh us heroes versus villains actually 
classifying people as heroes or villains is sometimes easier <laughs> said than done. And then you have this half and half format where traditionally the idea of newbies versus veterans people like, like producers always talk themselves into it and it might sound good on paper always ends up being this absolute bloodbath in favor of the the veterans yep. and this season it looked like it, it was going to be exactly that right so jackie uh, gets taken out and eight consecutive newbies voted out in a row to start the game only four of them left at the merge uh and then somehow after that we flip the script eight returning players have voted out in a row and we have an all newbie final three for uh for the first time ever and so liz's win as as Haley alluded to in her voting confessional very impressive in the sense of the the newbies were just endangered species throughout this is the first time we've had a newbie win a season like that um a little less impressive in the sense of once it's an all newbie final three like of course the newbie's gonna win but the yes. fact that it's an all newbie final three itself is is mind-boggling yeah, I mean, go, going into it, I, I'm not really one much for uh, for looking too much at the at the tribes and stuff before the, before a season starts. I kind of ignore it for the most part. But I was excited to hear that you know George was coming back and Haley. George and Haley were probably my two picks. I, I must admit, I didn't remember much of many of the others. I, I kind of watch it Australian Survivor, and then it tends to disappear from my mind even more quickly than uh, American Survivor does. So I'm not quite sure why that is, but. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. George and Haley were the big ones as far as I was concerned. I was, I was very keen to see them play again. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I, I paid zero attention to the newbies, rightly so, for as it turned out, and uh, for well, for the, for the most part. And oh, Shawnee, of course, was uh, another one I was looking forward to seeing again. She was my winner pick very early on. It's funny because you you watch Shawnee on her first two seasons. You don't think of her as someone who is just raring for another chance to play survivor again and she has unfinished business from years ago and it's, it's eating at her every day until she can come back and try and win again she's just okay that sounds fun i'll go play survivor and she is the person who has got to play the most survivor out of anyone in the history of the australian show at this point yeah i mean i i mean the reason i picked her as a winner was basically you know a return i i, I figured a returnee i figured a villain i figured you know Shawnee made it a long way each of her previous two times. I thought I, I could see that happening. And, and for a while, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm on a good thing here. And then uh wasn't to be. No, it, it seemed like a really smart bet. And until that episode where uh, George blindsided her, I, she was my winner pick at that point. Yep. It felt like, of course, George can't win, right? Like, we all know what's going to yes. happen here. But someone else has to at that point, And surely it's, it's going to be Shawnee. And that move of George running out Shawnee, that really felt like uh, there's often this move where the the dominant player in the season kind of cuts off their second in command and that big betrayal is uh is what vaults in my head so i think of like tony with sophie in winners of yes. war or stuff like that uh, and this felt like one of those really pivotal moves but if you don't take shawnee out now you might not get another good chance to and uh you had to get like this exact combination of people in your own alliance and people who are outside the alliance but just want to make it one more day uh, and that all came together beautifully sad news for all the shawnee fans out there but they, they kind of got their victory in the end Yes, yes, except not at uh, Final Tribal Council. Uh, no, so I <laughs> I guess we'll get that out of the way, because that was, I, I guess they have to fill the time somehow, but come on, guys, find another way, because I don't think the, the juror removal twist has ever been good TV or has ever led to a happy audience in the history of, of the show, basically, because either it, it does affect the final outcome, in which case now, instead of focusing on uh, the the winner and their triumph is oh well you know what would have happened unless there was this one hyper specific twist and if it doesn't affect it, it's well what well, was the point then why did we do do all of this waste all this time and 
especially here when uh, Liz wins unanimously anyway, and Shawnee could have been the the tenth and crowning vote. She could have uh, cemented her best friend's uh, victory out there, and you know, run over, runs over to hug Liz when it's announced. It could have been this great heartwarming moment for the Spice Girls, and instead, it, we're just thinking, well, why isn't Shawnee there? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, be a bit contrarian here. I'll. Uh... I'll, I'll say I, I don't mind the juror elimination, but I would be quite happy if it uh, kind of became a standard non-elimination round of Australian Survivor. I, th- I, th- I think if everybody knows it's coming, I, I think it actually adds an element of strategy, whereas even when you go to the jury, you, you've got to kind of keep your alliances a, a little bit more subtle. So I, I, th- I think it's a, I think if everybody knows it's coming and it becomes a standard uh, way of doing it, then I, I don't really have a problem with... Uh, you know, it inspires players to start actively arguing with one another over, you know, who who might be getting votes. So I think it brings all that kind of stuff to the forefront. So I, I'm 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 more pro the juror elimination than most people I see. Yeah, that that's fair. I guess the the thing that always sticks in my craw about it is it's almost guaranteed to take down someone whose jury speech you would want to see because yes. you're not taking out someone who's. I mean, maybe if, okay, you you know someone's going to be in the final two, final three with you, and they're kind of a low-key best friend who got voted out somehow is on the jury, okay, take out their guaranteed vote and we move on. But for the most part, it's going to take out someone like uh, a Simon or a Shawnee, or it's always the big names who are in contention there. And once you see uh, a Shawnee get voted out, you're thinking, well, that's really sad, but at least they're gonna we're going to get a little more yes. Shawnee uh, there at the end. And instead, we don't even get any of that. Yeah, I, I think one... Uh, kind of reasonable compromise might be to have the have the vote know who it is but keep that as a surprise for final tribal council you know shawnee goes to to you know has all the speeches does everything goes there to write write it down and gets one of those you know you'll you have no vote tonight sorry and that's it so she's still there she's you know can ask her questions but she doesn't get a vote and we don't actually find that out until the final tribal and hey, that that's a much smarter implementation of it than I've ever seen whenever it's been on any of these uh, uh, Survivor franchises. So I think you, you may have uh, uh, caused a big step forward there. But uh, with the the less successful returning players, let's say, uh, were there any who you, you flagged up? Uh, George and Haley, of course. Uh, Shawnee is a potential winner pick. Were there others who you had certain expectations of them coming in? Are they either like really outperformed or underperformed those? I, I uh, as, far, as far as ones that exactly performed uh, how I expected Sam, I, I, I thought he'd come sure. in and he did exactly what uh, what I expected of him. Uh, the others, I mean, Flick, Flick was pretty much the same character as well. I had no real memory of Sean other than you know just this giant person. So I I, I, guess, I guess he outperformed my expectations in that sense because I had no memory of him at all, and yeah, he I, seemed I... slightly more strategic. I forgot that he was a returning player. So in that sense, he yep. he massively exceeded my expectations by just being there as one in the first place. Um, he I, for a while I thought is is Sean maybe the winner that we're looking at here? But uh, yeah, I, uh, I I I was in I was terrified for a while that this was going to turn into a repeat of the previous season. I thought Sean is going to bloody win this. He's going to bring together his version of uh, Mark's alliance from last year. All these boys are going to stick together. And, uh, yeah, Sean will power. Because they were giving him a great edit for a while there. He had this yeah. idol that nobody knew about. And, yeah. But uh, I guess the other one is Geordie. Geordie certainly improved uh, on my uh, on what I saw previously. Uh, in, t- in terms of character-wise, I'm not sure he played a better game, but he was certainly you know, far more palatable as a character this time around. 
yeah, I, I went through a real uh, roller coaster with Jordy because he was one of the reasons that I bailed on his first season mm. uh, when I did. Just ha- hearing him talk about himself as a Joker <laughs> ten times yes. uh, every episode really grew old uh, quickly. And then when he his first confessional this season was, uh, you know, I was nicknamed the Joker. Like that, no passive voice here, Jordy. You nicknamed yourself the Joker uh, yeah. and never let us forget it. But actually, he he kind of eased up on that, and I actually found him surprisingly likable this season yes. I, I was really liking what he brought to the table and it felt like when george blew up not just fraser's game but simon's game and his game all at once and maybe his own game too in a way um it he felt like a kind of accidental casualty of that almost but that's part of what made it such an impressive event uh and i was sad to see him go George has said in his uh, deep dives and his exit press that Jordy uh, took that betrayal a lot worse than we saw on the screen. And you saw shades right. of you know, that old Jordy coming out of bits. And maybe uh, I, if I'd seen that, I wouldn't feel as bad for him. But yeah, I liked him. Yeah, if you told me Jordy is going to like accidentally get sent home almost early in the season, I would have expected to be thrilled about that coming in. And I was much more torn up about it than I uh, thought I would be. Yeah, I mean, that's almost exactly the same. I was sick to death of the Joker by the end of uh, the previous season, and I was desperately hoping uh, that he would go early so we didn't have to put up with this time. But you know, him pivoting to something more interesting was uh, was it was quite a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. So, looking at, I currently have the confessional chart for the season in front of me, <laughs> and the numbers there are absolutely staggering. And if, if you're someone who You've heard all the hype about Australian Survivor, but have never taken the plunge and jumped in yourself. And you had those understandable and common complaints about these trends in Survivor editing going back to uh, the 20s and the 30s and, and now into the 40s. If you look at this chart, you're thinking, what is all the fuss about? Because you see George here with 155 confessionals, a full 20% of the confessionals in the entire season, more than the rest of the final five put together, um, more than, you know, basically all of the pre-merge and some of the merge uh, characters put together too. And you think, well, unless this guy is the, the best television that I've ever seen, then this is exactly what people hated about the the russell hans experience Mm. and all all of these other like massively over edited characters in the past and uh, frankly they're they're not wrong right like this is as it was turned in our household uh survivor george and if you if you're not there for the george experience then this season is effectively unwatchable i think yeah i mean it was it was the george as you say it was the george show right so but I, uh, I I love George. I find him endless, endlessly entertaining. When you when you said uh, you know, uh, um, unless it's the most entertaining character in the history, well, he's pretty close to it. He's uh, the the amount of uh, nonsense he talks, and, and you know, combined with great strategy, he's such a great character and a great player that I I, I find him endlessly entertaining to watch. And then he teams up with Shawnee, and the two of them together are just this mischief creating machine. Like they're throwing challenges, they. They're pointing out, you know, whether God likes Paige or not. Spoiler: God doesn't. And uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, uh, the, the the mischief those two got together. They, they, I I just loved it. They they were such a great pair uh, while they while they lasted. And then you know, George carried on from there. I, I do. Uh, I reach my limit with George sometimes, but yep. I think what separates him from some of the other like wannabe masterminds we've had in the past is there, there is a sense of whimsy there i think yes uh he he does make it fun to watch and kind of go out of his way to like cause drama and be a big character as opposed to and i think this is one of the other common 
Australian survivor archetypes is like the uh, the guy who thinks he's the mastermind and is bragging about how great he is all the time, but never ends up following through really and does it in such a kind of a, a clinical or self-aggrandizing way that it's hard for you to enjoy it yourself. So like yeah. the Nikia dancers uh, yes. or I mean AKs of the world, right? Although AK, I, I, I've warmed to him a bit on this rewatch too. Uh, but George, for as much as he is that taken to the extreme, he does also... <laughs> It's just George. Right? That, that's just Georgie. Like you, there's just something about him that is, makes it uh, fun to watch. Well, uh, yeah, and, and as you say, he take he takes these big shots. He, he plays big games. He, uh, you know, he doesn't hesitate to cut. You know, Shawnee doesn't hesitate to, uh, you know, cut Haley once he realizes Haley's against him. I, I, I think he's, he's kind of, yeah, he's he's fearless approach to you know knowing that he has to go. You know, hundred percent the entire time. Yeah, it's very Tony esque in that sense. It's just like I'm not stopping. I'm going to go as hard as I can at everybody for the entire game and see if anybody can go with me. And most people can't. Yeah, so George definitely buys into his own uh, mythology. Yes. Like when when he says I'm the king and I'm the greatest player of all time, he believes that he it, it is partly for show, but not entirely for show. Yeah, and there are a lot of George fans who. Uh, riding the high of his performance this season, do say, like, he played the best game of all time or he's the best player. I, I think both of those claims are really up uh, for debate I, in the sense of, I, I'm not someone who says by default, like, the winner always played the best game or for this to be the best game of all time, it has to result in a win. But even leaving that aside, I think that when you look at his his two games here and his overall performance, I, I don't think he's in the mix, really, for the best of all time. I think there are definitely people who, I mean, on his own seasons, who are firmly above him, if nothing else. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, uh, the he kind of cornered himself into having to win the final immunity challenge in this game. There was no real other way for him to get to the end. And, uh, yeah, I think... I, I I I was one of the one of the few people who thought I was I, I loved Haley. I think Haley's a great player. I was perfectly happy with Haley's win. I would have also been perfectly happy with a George win on that season. I I think uh, I think George played a played a very good game that time as well. Even if he did alienate the uh, the Brawns uh, on the way, which is obviously a fatal miscalculation. So yeah, I don't think he's the greatest player of all time. I think he's as a combination of a character and a player. He's yeah, he's right up there. He's he's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that that first uh, final try ball that he makes, I think is, like, if George were to beat Haley, it would mean that he had done a better enough job of actually reaching out to the Brawns and of making friends yes. and of just connecting with them that at that point, if if he wins, I can take that at face value that, okay, he, he deserved that win because he had the strategy, but was able to back it up with these other elements too. But he wasn't able to, and Haley. I, I think really kind of uh, danced around him in that sense, and it seemed like she was kind of on the way to doing that this season, yes. exploiting that that blind spot that that he had in terms of their real life friendship. And I do wonder if the heroes don't bungle that double idol tribal so spectacularly. <laughs> if if we're talking about Haley as a uh, maybe not a two time winner, maybe she would suffer the same fate. But the fact that she was even in the mix to do that, I think, is very impressive in its own right. Yeah, I, and I think yeah, Haley obviously has the better end game options given her you know skill at surviving you know uh, long uh, endurance challenges. So I think uh, I, I think if she if she had got through the, I mean she was almost there. If she'd almost uh, put the put the curse on Nina as uh, George's next target until she got found out, and she was only a, a couple of steps away, I think, from having a really strong end game. 
And I, yeah, it would have been fascinating to see a win twice, two, twice in two attempts. Yeah. Go, going back to the last season that we that we covered here in All Stars, really hard for me to put George or anyone else, frankly, above David's performance in that season, just in terms of, I mean, and you can extend that claim to maybe just US Survivor as a whole too. Like that one of the the most completely dominant performances I've ever seen to the point that it felt like he was taking all of these silly risks and kind of toying with his food a bit and just none of it ever mattered. He he, he never seemed yeah. flustered at any yeah, point. I, yeah, I, David was fantastic. Yeah, I'm a big fan of David's win. Well, I'm not a big fan of David's win because it kind of got boring at the end there as he uh, as he had such complete control. But just, just the kind of the concept of David coming back and and uh, actually winning when everybody knew what a threat he was and he, he still did it, yeah. Uh, re- reason he's the gold god. Uh, golden god is better than king, right? Uh, I mean, where, where does Joker rank in that? That's kind of like a wild card. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hard to keep track of these things. But uh, it, George is a, a really interesting contrast there, actually, because with David, it felt like, okay, we know this guy is winning. Let's just fast forward to the end, get through some of these uh, obvious votes. With George, it was, okay, we know that George can't win because how does he get past this the the Siri barrier of well everyone knows you're going to win and you also can't win the challenge so you're going to have to find someone to take you and I'm not sure who's going to take you um and so we kind of knew that George wasn't going to win which left it as an open question as to who would kind of seal it out from from underneath him and that's why the end game in this season I felt also lagged a little bit inevitably yeah. because they actually were playing it pretty smart right like both yes. Liz and Nina over here and then Matt and Jerry over here were all banking on if we can just get to the end with George then we can harness him to do that and then cut him at the final hurdle and then whoever's left at the end, one of us is going to take home uh, the money. And that was a smart bet for all of them to place. Um, it ju- but it meant that when, you know, we have an hour to fill, we got to have some confessional of Matt pretending that he's going to turn on George or Liz saying she's going to get revenge for Shawnee but not actually getting revenge for Shawnee yet. Um, and we all knew what the deal was. I think George... It kind of knew what the deal was too uh knew his goose was cooked when he he didn't win that challenge uh and sure enough i mean that's exactly what happened yeah i think uh yeah as you say it was a, it was a it was a good good thinking for both of them i i think we knew just based on the edit that it what that, that it couldn't possibly be matt and jerry in the final two so i i think at that point i kind of figured well does george somehow wriggle out of this i i, I was watching because i i you know you watch him wriggle out of all these seemingly doomed you know, places, particularly in the first half of the season where he doesn't have the numbers, he's, you know, an obvious liability for his tribe. And then, uh, but in the second half, I thought, well, how's he going to get out of this? I, I, I was still hopeful that maybe he's, maybe he's got something up his sleeve. And uh, because I, I just couldn't see how Matt and Jerry would, you know, I, I couldn't see how Matt and Jerry would be the final two. And then I was just assuming as the players were that it was going to be a final two. And then the, uh, that, that was the other possibility that, you know, it would be a surprise final three that nobody would know about until it was too late. And then it would just be Matt, Jerry and George in the final three. And that would be how George won. But uh, it obviously didn't, didn't go that way. Yeah, for the whole season, uh, George did have the vibe of that that Donald Trump or that tweet about Donald Trump where it's like, <laughs> well, I'd like to see him wriggle his way out of this jam. And then he just very easily wriggles his way out of it. Um, and George did that so, so frequently that you started to wonder like, well, yeah, maybe he'll just find a way around that obstacle too. But eventually, you know, the, the law of gravity kind of reasserted itself. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it seemed like, well, it can't be Matt, but it also can't really be Liz. Like, I, I, going back to this confessional chart, you look at the first 10 episodes of the season, Liz has confessionals in 
three of them <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's two of those is, is one confessional over the course of an hour so she is she's not really there and that those numbers don't tell the whole story because you knew by episode 10 that okay the the spice girls are a thing that shiz is a thing you kind of yep. see liz in there even if you're not hearing from her that often herself but th- there was no one who had a good edit at the point where george gets taken out um and so uh, matt didn't seem plausible liz seemed more plausible to most people than she should have and part of that is this recurring uh danger that you have to avoid with australian survivor is like not only are the seasons spoiled but the the spoilers are tied to these the betting odds on the season which is repeated everywhere yeah and where like you go and people are not uh not shy about very clearly making comments that are informed by that so you you saw people at the merge saying it really feels like liz is about to seize control of this and it's like well (laughs) does it feel like that or do you see you know liz is 1.3 and everyone else is six to one and you you draw your own conclusions from that yeah yeah i i i I think i was spoiled the the very first season by somebody who said oh these betting odds are a giveaway that i can't what was the name of the first winner i've forgotten now but uh, oh christy which christy yeah i was just like well i can't see how that could possibly be true and then it was and it's like well i'm never never paying any attention to any of that ever again yeah that and that that was the most tragic one for it to happen to because if if you see the odds saying yeah we think david's gonna win all stars well okay yeah i, I watched episode one i know that david's gonna win all stars uh but chrissy <laughs> was the big like bolt out of the blue winner for that entire era of global survivor and so uh the fact that that was just ruined by so many people's like selfishness and carelessness is, is really unfortunate but yeah it, it makes it really hard to discuss uh australian survive in any kind of like public forum because even if you think the the quality of the discussion is worth it which often it isn't you know that some of it is just being informed by these obvious spoilers and, and guaranteed spoilers which are out there yeah I, I i somehow i must be following good people because i i didn't see an awful lot of people predicting liz's win so that that uh, gives me some hope that i've i'm following the right people mm-hmm. so uh, w- one question i had was we saw uh, the the final three this season. Uh, uh, Blood versus Water. We had that sudden final three announcement, and it looks like we're continuing that trend. So, if there's another season of Australian Survivor after this, maybe the final three is just the the new trend now. But I wonder if that announcement is actually what led to Liz winning over Matt here, because mm. if we keep those last two challenges as they were, let's assume that a uh, jury removal challenge becomes an immunity. Uh, so Matt wins that. They vote out Liz because she's the biggest threat to win the challenges and the, the three guys get to sit together. And so going into the final three, all they have to do is hope that George doesn't win the challenge. And I think that's a pretty safe uh, bet to shove your chips on. Matt's going to win that too. Vote out George, take Jerry to the end. And I don't think that the jury would be thrilled to vote for Matt, but they're going to do it when the alternative is Jerry. And maybe Matt is our unanimous winner there instead. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly how it would have turned out. I think uh, obviously we would have got a very different edit for Matt, who I, I was calling, you know, a cameraman for the first you know, first few times I saw him. I was like, who the hell is this guy? I've never seen this guy before in my life. And uh, he slowly got, got bigger, but obviously if he had turned out to be the winner, he would have been bigger earlier, presumably. But yeah, I, the, I, I, I don't mind. I actually quite like the idea of uh, them 
not telling the players whether it's a final two versus final three. I think as long as the players know that either is a possibility, I, I, I'm, I'm quite happy for them to leave it up in the air. I, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, when you know or think you know which one it's going to be kind of definitively, then then you do get the boring gameplay like, you know, Jerry and Matt saying, well, we'll just stick with George and, you know, Liz and Nina on the other side. But if, if they if they at least had an inkling that a final three was a possible possibility earlier, they might have uh, they they might have mixed it up a little bit earlier. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it seems like there there just haven't been enough seasons of Australian Survivor that they yeah. feel the need to meddle with the end game format in quite the same way. Where uh, you know we have the the fire making now in the US version and a, mm. a lot of these twists that Jeff has tried to push over time, and we also haven't had the kind of super controversial ending that would cause some kind of fan outcry uh, outcry that might make its way to the producers so uh, i guess george losing this way people were sad about but like okay if george doesn't get cut at final four he gets cut at final three in exactly the same circumstances in final two so there's no equivalent really yet of a uh, Michelle beating Aubrey kind of thing or Russell losing twice in the finals and there's no big event that I think would uh, prompt that kind of change and also I it's less clear to us as the audience who would be pushing for that kind of change in the first place because instead of Jeff Probst who is uh, an executive producer very intimately involved with every part of the show's structure uh, and everything these days you have jlp who seems almost admirably aloof about the whole thing it's like okay yeah this is this is a pretty fun gig but if it ends tomorrow I, eh, okay well I'll, I'll go on to something else yeah he gets his twitter out he makes some you know uh lewd puns and he's, he's very happy a little bit of entendre work <laughs> yeah he's, he's he's very happy to just tweet along and then disappear for you know the next nine months and re-emerge again sorry one, one thing that did occur to me about a final two or final three choice I, I, I it would actually occur to me that maybe you could have like a, a reward challenge at a final seven or eight give give uh give give up give a player a choice whether it's going to be a final two or final three something something far enough out that it doesn't you know it doesn't clinch the game for them but it would you know potentially gives them an advantage and, and a secret to keep I, I i actually wouldn't mind if they they trial that as an idea yeah if you want to have some kind of a unique power uh, entering mm. the game that that would be one that you could uh try for sure going back to what you said about if if matt were to win then we probably would see a whole different side of matt i'm not even sure how true that is necessarily because liz actually is a good example here where liz is our unanimous winner in the end uh very closely connected to the main character of the season and yet once again we just go back to this chart of like well liz is is there but barely for for most of the show and so yeah i kind of think that in the world where matt wins George is still the main character, getting 150 confessionals. Matt maybe gets a little bit more, and we probably hear more about his family, but it, it seems like, for the most part, what we saw of Matt was the game that he was playing. There wasn't much uh, hidden uh, scheming going on that he could have been talking about instead. So, yeah, I think it would be kind of broadly uh, the same same stuff, uh, but yeah, with, with a slightly different outcome. Yeah, maybe we'd get a little bit more of the, you know, the the plan from uh, uh, to cut George at final three, given that's, you know, would have been in this alternate timeline how it worked out. Maybe we would have seen a little bit more foreshadowing of that, which they 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 threw in, a, you know, a couple of bits during the season of uh, Jerry and Matt saying, yeah, that's where we're final two, but. Not so much. I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter going, why why don't they ever turn on George? Why don't they ever turn on George? And it's just like, well. 
I'm pretty sure I know exactly why they're not turning on George. They've got this, you know, plan to cut him at final three. But uh, yeah, so yeah, m- maybe that would have been made slightly more explicit at some point, or maybe not. Maybe maybe everything's exactly the same, and it's still the George <laughs> show. And the story is how George didn't win, rather than how any other player did win. Well, g- given the outcome that we actually got, it still seemed like things could have broke differently. And when you have a unanimous win, it is maybe hard to make that argument. But going into final tribal. At that point, I assumed, okay, Liz is going to take it down. But when you look at the the actual arguments that the final three made to the jury and the questions they got and how they handled those, it seemed to me like, in a way, Matt had the stronger case that he could have made and Liz had the stronger case that she actually did make. And mm. I think this is a, a trend we've seen in certainly the new era of US Survivor as well, where you think of... Uh, certainly Erica and Gabler, may, maybe Marianne as well. That that one is more up in the air uh, for me. But I, I think arguably all of them and also Liz didn't have uh, a a big like padded resume in the conventional sense, but they d- were able to present what they did have and frame it in an inventive way and do it with a lot of confidence and uh, explain what their priorities are and really make a, a good assertive case for themselves um, in a way that like but maybe... Mike versus Marianne is the kind of uh, the analog here where with yeah. Mike it felt like people liked Mike and they were almost waiting for him to give them an excuse to vote for him to win but he just fumbled that ball at the, at the final hurdle snatched defeat from the jaws of victory with Matt it seemed like he it was going to be more of an uphill battle but when for example people are asking him what move did you make without George I think you can you can argue Matt made one of the most pivotal moves in at the merge flipping over from the heroes to be with the vigilantes, potentially burning bridges with half the eventual jury in the process, uh, deciding which camp he was going to uh, bed in with. And that that's a big move. I mean, you're much bigger than anything that, that Liz could really lay claim to. Um, but with Liz, you know, she was able to say, I got revenge on George, even though she had several opportunities to actually get revenge on George in a way that would have been definitively hers and, and pass up on those. And by the time that she did eventually vote him out, well, that was a case of, we all know what the deal is. It's just who, whichever uh, non-George person went to challenge, I guess, could maybe claim some credit for it. Yeah, I, 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 that, that was exactly the point I was going to make. Uh, basically, you win that challenge, you not only get immunity, you also get the credit for, you know, you get the argument at final tribal council. So it's kind of a double victory there. Because obviously if Matt had won it, he would have been saying the exact same thing and may have got the credit that Liz got there. And when it comes to you know explaining their respective games, one one comment that I've seen made about uh, some of Liz's exit press and so on is, yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing like a Liz deep dive anytime soon. And when <laughs> the idea of that was brought up, she seemed almost surprised that that is the thing that people would want to do or would want to hear. <laughs> and a lot of her answers to those questions, admittedly in the middle of, uh, you know, several hour long media round where every single outfit is asking you the exact same questions for the most part um you're going to hear a lot of the same stuff over and over again uh but it seemed like for the most part her game was pretty kind of uh reactive or it was yeah i i'm gonna go with the flow i'm gonna be friends with shawnee and then with george and i want to have this solid alliance and then if i have to rebound from that somehow i'll do it but it is very kind of ad hoc uh and it's it's more social it's more yeah i, I just i'm making friends and these these big these guys with their big egos are kind of annoying me it's very uh natural to who she is there wasn't a lot of like strategic planning going into that and i think that's kind of a one refreshing thing that you maybe get with some of these recruits or these athletes is they haven't 
seen every episode of the show they don't have their entire game mapped out coming in and they do just kind of play it by ear a little bit more yeah and for the most part her her instincts were, were pretty good in terms of you know picking who to support and who to go against uh i i i do find it interesting that you know she made that big mistake in believing flick was uh was going to go on their side and you know being willing to lose an idol over it and uh but I, th- I think that's really kind of the only mistake she made. But as you say, she didn't do an awful lot in the other direction either. There, there were no great strategic moves. So it was basically just middle of the road gameplay. The flick thing was, it was fascinating watching the the fan reaction to that because so many people were bashing flick for, you know, when the the vigilantes or the you know the, the villains plus kind of took control again at the merge they were batting flick for well it looks like you made the wrong choice you could have gone with the the spice girls and so on but what i saw in that pre-merge round was flick ending up in this really tough position working that social game hard getting the power players to want to keep her um surviving to the merge getting back with her old crew where she was this integral part and like playing that whole thing perfectly and then okay maybe there were some missteps later on but uh it it was i think indicative of how so many of the fans were rooting for george and it was like well this is good for george and shawnee therefore other players should do it even if in the cold light of (laughs) day on paper it doesn't make any sense for their game yeah why why aren't all these players doing what's best for for george and shawnee come on play properly yeah, I mean, a valid question if you're a stan of theirs, you, you might say. <laughs> yes. But I, I don't know. I thought Flick was... I, oh, didn't ex- yes. I didn't expect too much from Flick. And I think she was the least kind of... Uh, had the least fanfare of any of that final three from from last time. But uh, I, I don't know. I think acquitted herself pretty well for the most part. Yeah, I, I, it was obviously a, a perfectly good move on her part. If you could get somebody in a, a seemingly thick, thick alliance to, to, you know... Th- keep you around and be willing to play an idol on you when you should theoretically be going home i mean that's obviously a good play perhaps not such great play to sprint straight back without you know without uh at least pretending that you're still you know playing the opposition or something uh you know that, that you're still with uh shawnee and liz uh shawnee and liz but uh you know you're just toying with the the previous heroes perhaps but i don't know the, she uh yeah uh, you you asked right at the beginning who are the players who exceeded my expectations. I think Flick uh, was pretty much exactly the same as my expectations. What did you expect about Nina coming in? Because we we saw her get taken out last time uh, by by Medivac before we could actually really form a sense of how she was doing as a player. And then how the that impression of her this time around felt like it was kind of going back and forth a lot of the time. A lot of like moves that almost came through but didn't. She had this hit planned on Haley, which uh, Haley was rescued from uh, by this twist. And then other times where it felt like Nina was uh, in this precarious spot, but was able to, to crawl along a little further. And even though she makes it very far uh, and seemed like she was going to be maybe the the big contender to win had she made it to the end, um, I, I'm still not sure what the, the overall verdict on Nina's game actually is. Yeah, I, I mean, going in, you don't, I, I found it very hard to have any expectations because she was, uh, you know, eliminated or medevaced so early in the previous game. And, and, and there's kind of weird intertwining. We all wanted to just be, you know, Sandra 2.0, like a just a baby Sandra out there running running around and doing Sandra things. And the, I mean, I'm not sure that's that's her game. I mean, she's obviously would have to be influenced by that to some to some degree, but. Yeah, I, I 
I, I don't think we really saw enough of her this season to have, have a strong opinion. She was in there, uh, you know, making good points, but then she'd also seem to have uh, these these moments where she'd, you know, talk too much, she'd say the wrong thing, she'd, you know, let let slip, uh, you know, a, an alliance or a relationship that that she probably shouldn't have done so. So I'm, I'm not quite, quite sure she was the, the finished article in terms of gameplay. She... She was good enough to hang around, but I, I I never really felt as if she was in control of the game to you know the same extent as uh you know so some some of the better players on the season. It's uh it's a natural comparison, of course, right? It's, it's so tempting to say how does Nina line up with uh, Sandra, but that requires firstly pinning down what Nina's game is, and then also pinning mm. down what Sandra's <laughs> game is, which I I think is up for debate itself sometimes. Um, yeah. There are some big, obvious differences. I don't think Nina is consumed by vengeance the way the Sandra seems to be uh, <laughs> at, at times. Uh, it could really have gone after George uh, in that way, but but didn't really. Um, and I, I think certainly did her mother proud, uh, including by winning a challenge, which is still a feat yep. that uh, Sandra has never done uh, herself. Yep. I think added a lot to the season, but by the end was becoming the poster child as well for this person probably could try and put a hit on George if they wanted to, but has decided not to. And uh, yeah, they probably have their reasons, but you, you kind of want at least to see someone try. Yeah, I mean, she was probably undone by the fact that Simon got to George's hat first, right? I mean, that would have been a, <laughs> a, a, a proper Diaz twine move. I, let's, I think Nina, we'll talk about Sandra in a second. I think Nina, I mean, in the context of um, uh, Haley's crowning confessional about Liz, where she said that, uh, the the villains, the newbies, and the women all felt like endangered species at times on the season. Well, Nina was, she wasn't a villain, and she wasn't a newbie. I mean, she in a way, uh, she was a woman though. She she was, and she well, but more so than that, she was a minority woman from America on a season mm. of Australian Survivor. So I don't know exactly how strong the the culture shock was for her, but certainly uh, like standing out in that sense, but then seeming to be as kind of blended in with everyone as she was, I think is also uh, a point in her column too. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we did get that uh, very cringeworthy moment where oh, she God. was informed she wasn't the only African-American woman. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Yes, uh, much missed was Rogue. I, that, yeah, the, the whole like Rogue versus Paige thing in particular was like, you, you know that like Rogue is on the right side of the argument, but you don't want to be associated with her in any way at all. And so you you kind of want to just divorce yourself from that whole situation yes. entirely. Yes, that was... Uh, uh, I, they, they, they were entertaining characters who I'm very glad were all got rid of so early and in such an entertaining fashion. I almost wonder now if... Uh, is a spot going to open up for Nina on American Survivor? Like if there's some... Um, all-star season again soon which like jeff keeps putting it off uh for a, a while but if we get to 46 let's say and returning players are, are back in the mix it, it maybe nina uh, enters that rotation somehow i don't know yeah i i wonder about that I, would the u.s survivor even acknowledge that australian survivor existed I, i'm i'm not entirely sure they would <laughs> i i i i i don't know whether like would they say she's a returning player because she played in this season which you know, theoretically, almost everybody in US Survivor hasn't seen. I, I, I think that would be very interesting to see. I, I have no strong opinion either way. Yeah, the, the Australian version almost has to acknowledge the American one, like as yes. the first mover, but I don't know if it really goes the other way. So, no. uh, 
Um, maybe not. Although I think that uh, if if Jeff was open to it, I think that would certainly be uh, a fun storyline to see unfold. Let's talk about Simon then, because Simon, uh, <laughs> God, what what a f- phenomenal casting choice, right? Like you you need people like this who really want to be in control and are doing their best to play hard, and then are just stepping on the rake and slipping on the banana peel at every single opportunity. Yeah, it, it, the Simon and George relationship was was just. It was such a such a beautiful thing. It was like this, you know, wily coyote and the roadrunner. It was it was like Simon had I, I I asked at one point on Twitter, you know, I want a supercut of every confessional of every voting booth confessional with Simon saying, I've got you now, George, and just it would go for like you know, half an hour. It was it was just amazing how many times <laughs> I, he, he did it and blew it. It was I, I loved I it. I was so badly rooting for Simon to just vote for Matt or Jerry or something and <laughs> could continue that streak of missing until the very end. Uh, but yeah. sadly, was was not to be. But uh, we we saw that relationship really evolve over time to the point where in the jury villa we, you saw a uh, simon like shaving george's beard and mustache in preparation for that like ron jeremy look at the at the final tribal council um and really they had that, that very playful vibe at the end uh took them a while to get there though and what you saw between them it, that that relationship i think there was a real like hostility there at times there was a real like uh ego contest and so on and it was a kind of both personal tension and personal tension manifested in them like using the game against each other that you really yes. don't see in the u.s version these days which feels a lot more sanitized unless you get something that's almost outside the bounds of the game like the whole uh you know shan versus Deshaun thing in 41 or, mm. or what have you for the most part now it's like oh it's all in the game and oh uh, sharks guys you got me uh good job you don't really see that kind of uh like lust for blood that the two of them had uh in those early days I I, th- I think part of that was also that George seemed to have this kind of supernatural ability to to know exactly what buttons of Simon to push, and he mm. would just relentlessly, you know, whenever he needed to, he would just go, "All right, I'm just going to needle Simon in this precise way." I mean, we saw it in that uh, episode seven Tribal Council where it was it was Simon was trying to get his point across, and every t- every time he said anything, George had a, had a counter that just put him back in his place and annoyed him one step further which made simon want to go again it was just this lovely well lovely for a viewer this lovely cycle of, of watching these two needle one another and george in particular just uh just making simon feel feel like he had no he had no way out of uh, any of these conversations because george seemed to have him covered at every turn it was it was very entertaining oh it, it was exquisite yeah i mean i what what from recent memory in the us version could even compete with that like i there have been some some like impressive idol plays or or stuff like that but just in terms of the the raw personal drama at a tribal council which these days it's so full of pablum it's so uh, Mm. these contrived analogies and jeff trying to out contrive those analogies with his own and it's all you just want them to get it over with there's some of that still in the australian version but this was this this unique moment that is really unlike anything i can remember in in years at this point yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact specifically in that tribal council that you know half the tribal council was after the votes had been, yes, you know, after Jonathan yes. had the urn, and it was still going on, and it was it was riveting the entire thing. Uh, uh, yeah, it, I, I I I actually watched it last night again in preparation for this podcast. This is it was just one of the most compelling tribal councils I've ever seen. I can't. Yeah, it, it was it was amazing, and and it was just one part. I mean, it was the the major part of their relationship. I think I don't think 
anything would top that over the course of the season. But it was just one part of it. Like it, it extended for virtually the entire season. When when did I mean Simon was out at what final seven or something? Yeah, uh, final final six. Yeah, just before yeah. Uh, Nina. So and that's where as well I think a quite conveniently timed, but I think also quite skillfully timed twist actually led to this great long-term outcome because uh, they had this individual immunity contest just going mm. into that tribal at, at the tribal itself, which Simon won. And, you know, it seemed like he was the favorite to win it on the on the team at that point. And had that not happened, if George gets to just, like, idle out Simon or something instead, then at that point, I don't know, it, it would be more impactful in the moment than like fraser this guy we, we barely know yeah. going home but you wouldn't get the the chapter two and the chapter three and so on of the george versus simon arc for the for the rest of the season yeah i i think that that ended perfectly i i i remember as i was watching that tribal council i i i caught on like a split second before they actually got to the votes reading i i i said to my partner what if George and the girls have voted for Geordie? Which I thought, ah, that, wouldn't that be brilliant? And then George was still one step ahead. No, 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 we're, we're going to leave Geordie here so he can he can uh, be antagonistic with Simon so there's no chance of them coming back together. It was Everything about it was perfect. The fact that Simon you know, and Geordie were still there to fight with one another, he, he flipped... Uh, flip stevie onto his side uh, every, everything about that tribal was uh, was exquisite i i'm still not sure how that stevie flip even happened or made sense or <laughs> I, I mean stevie was a, a a tough person to to try and understand it in in that yep. way in general but I, I mean the whole thing was just a perfect performance it was beautiful the the fraser the fact that the vote ended up on fraser i think that has that, that's a signature george move because if you think back to his first season you had that vote where Danny and Emmett were going after each other and they were trying to each trying to enlist the brains in their crusade against the other one. And then George uh, went for the secret third thing and voted for Gerald <laughs> instead, like this this brawn loyalist who was never going to work with the brains, leaving in Danny and Emmett to like go after each other after their failed attempts to vote each other out. And then yeah. the brains could just sit back and enjoy the show. Um, and this felt very much in that mold to me as well, just kind of a... Uh, taking out this irrelevant piece on the board and letting the other pieces uh, cannibalize each other. Yeah, it was it was a thing of beauty. I was I was trying to think of, you know, obviously it's rare to to need to adjust your plans at tribal council. I you know, unless someone pulls out, you know, a, a necklace or something when you're not expecting it, but you know, most 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 of the time there's not a not a immunity necklace being one at tribal council. So most of the planning usually goes ahead of it, despite all the whispering that we see. Uh, I was I was trying to think of an equivalent in, in U- the US version. And I think the closest I could come up with somebody having to think on their feet that quickly and at least coming out with some semblance of a, a counter plan was was Eric at the Three uh, the three Amigos tribal council. Mm. Uh, I think he was the one who actually pointed out that you know, they still had to vote for the Amigos because if they didn't, they wouldn't play their idols and they, they could keep going. But apart from that, I, I can't think of any other time where someone's adjusted their plans in such you know detail at, at a tribal council with, with no time to really think about anything. Yeah, I think tribals like that are what lead producers across the globe with uh, Survivor to keep putting these these twists and these advantages in in the hope that you have this perfect storm where it all comes together yeah. so that that fraser uh, boot you kind of needed there to be an idol among the spice girls an idol uh, with simon 
and there to be this Simon Getty immunity at Tribal for yep. all of that to come together the way that it did. And, the, you know, the Three Amigos thing, right? You need there to be two idols on that team protecting each other and one of them to win the personal immunity, as, as Reynolds would put it. Yep. Um, you, you kind of need this perfect confluence of events. And so is that worth, do you think, the, this, like, constant deluge of twists and advantages and so on that we get where like most of the time it's not going to lead to anything that's that's worth a squeeze but sometimes you get stuff like this and is that is that enough on that side of the ledger for you well i i don't think so i i think uh yeah there's there there, there are extremes that uh that i think the current u.s version is going to i i yeah i it's, it's 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 more impressive the fact that there were there are so few idols in play when it does happen i'm i'm perfectly happy to see you know, old school style play where yeah, the the second half of this this season basically had no idols, right? They all disappeared. Yeah. Uh, at that at that you know uh, double double idol play by the heroes that went wrong, and I think did any of them come back after that? I don't, don't think they did, right? No, I, I don't think so. But maybe that's a a good example of something in the middle where like the the failed use of, of yes. idols can be as compelling TV as as the successful use. And I was on the edge of my seat for that entire uh, yes tribal because it felt like that that was the point where either george is going to go to final three slash final four whichever the penultimate round is or this is the move that just like boots him out of the game somehow and then everyone has to scramble and figure things out from uh from scratch and i i really thought it was going to happen and I, i was there with like watching Haley just trying to keep it together as best laid plans completely fell apart in front of her just like wincing as the entire thing unfolded it was it was great tv in the worst possible way if you're rooting for uh for Hedy to get her way there yeah uh, uh, she gave them all the information and then they didn't believe her and uh, there, there, there's something kind of beautiful about that especially you know someone like sam just kind of staring up at sean give me your idol and then staring over at Haley, who's just deliberately trying to not look anywhere not catch his eye at all lest uh she be caught out for, for her working behind the scenes uh, uh, that was yet another beautiful moment in this great season I, I, sorry, and, and the other fact—the other fact I loved about that tribal council was that they played both their idols, got them both wrong. They lost Sam, and they got Simon back in their alliance. So they they lost on every level. The uh, the, the four heroes. <laughs> it, it was a real classified. Yeah. <laughs> well, what else is there from the season that we haven't really uh, touched on yet that you want to get to? Uh, let me just have a quick scroll through. I I think. Uh, I, I, I've just got a, a few notes here. I, I, I do love how just one, one of the kind of fun, mischievous efforts that I was talking about with uh, with Shawnee and George, I, I love how they commandeered the vigilante's name and, and Nina's kind yes. of look of surprise as well. So, what if this is my name? And there's not, nah, this is our name now. That was that was very good. Yeah, I, I did like that. Uh, a lot of those kind of uh, smaller moments just livening up the season too. A lot of good, uh, like... Uh, just a little character moments as well on top of the the non-stop uh strategizing yeah i i guess i i'm just kind of kind of flipping through um the yeah the vote out of angeli when they had the option not not to do so like that was the very first week when mm. the villains yeah. potentially were going to lose three people and they said ah oh, no we'll, we'll we'll vote her out anyway doesn't really matter you also um, had a, a classic australian survivor archetype in michael who was like 
trying to play the entire 55 days of survivor in three days and just uh hopelessly out of their league out of their element and there have been so many examples of that across the years but it really it really shines out more in uh in a half and half you know veterans newbie season we're like you can't really get away with that normally you definitely can't get away with it against people who have been there done that before and like george is the guy who who was there and did it before right like that whole mitch thing that really made his name in the the early days of heroes versus villains like that is basically what michael tried to do and it it blew up in his face and you know as we all expected it would yeah and and obviously it gave george a perfect you know excuse for people not to vote for him and just like look at this crazy guy you got to vote for him you've got to keep me around and then once the uh once the returnees had the numbers on that villains tribe I, I, that you know, started off the farewell newbies, uh, you're all going to go one by one. Uh, I guess the other thing that uh, occurred to me was uh, Geordie basically not playing uh, playing an idol and you know getting himself voted out because he, he thought he was he thought he was going to outwit the heroes and that they wouldn't split the votes on him and Liz. I guess the only other thing that comes to mind is uh, anything from Final Tribal that stood out. There was Sean's question to Jerry, just asking him about that that kind of missing personal connection mm. where a lot of Jerry's pitch seemed to be, well, yeah, I'm the oldest here by like a whole generation and it was hard for me to connect with you guys. And yeah, I, I don't know much about AFL. So what, what was I meant to do? It's an Australian Survivor season. Everyone's into AFL. Um, yeah. And Sean kind of getting back at that with, well, look, I, I'm more well, well-rounded than just having been an athlete once upon a time and I have other hobbies too and you you didn't really bother to get to find that out or get to know that about yeah. me. Um, oh, yeah. I thought was... One of his other hobbies is having a supermodel wife, I think. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jerry, Jerry could have asked about that. Good gig if you can get it, yeah. Um, yes. So yeah, I think that it was a it was a fair response from Sean, but also a good reminder that like that stuff really does matter. And I actually think if if George had made it to the end, it sounded like by most accounts he was doing a better job on that front this season than he had uh, in his first one. But that might also have been like a point of contention if his kind of uh, strategic argument wasn't so obviously overpowering. Yeah, I mean there there is no doubt really that if George was there, he's the winner. So. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I think it's nice that he had all these uh, personal moments and I think he had enough connections on, on the tribe that regardless of even if they had been severely annoyed, I think he still would have won uh, going against pretty much anybody. But uh, yeah, I, 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 it was a good reminder that Jerry, Jerry, Jerry clearly only had one or two friends out there uh, that he bothered spending any time with and one of them was mm-hmm. on the jury and one of them was sitting next to him. So, so now that George is... Uh unofficially but also i think officially the king of australian survivor despite not actually having won yet do you think that changes the the metagame if you like going forward are we going to see people try and be the next george and then probably failing at that or uh people reacting against that are the the george wannabes going to be even bigger targets in the early days uh do do you see uh anything like that happening i think that it's I think it's almost impossible. I can't really imagine a, another player coming on and playing the George game and getting away with it. I can't. I still don't know why George wasn't voted out almost immediately. He brought you know so little to the challenges. He knew how dangerous he was. I can't really understand why he wasn't gone straight away. And I just don't see how any player trying to follow in his footsteps can can succeed. I I I think it's 
Yeah, I'm not even sure George would ever succeed again coming out and playing again. I can't believe that anyone would ever let him get away with it a third time. It would uh, seem impossible. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think there will be plenty of people trying. There will be plenty of people saying, you know, you know, if I loud and claim that I'm, I don't know, the emperor or something of Australian Survivor, that I'll get lots of screen time. But there, there is, as you mentioned earlier, there's a kind of whimsical fun element to George, which I'm not sure... I think that's quite difficult to capture for for most people who have the kind of ego that would make those kind of outlandish statements in the first place. So there's a very fine balance, and uh, I, I know I know there are a lot of people who think George doesn't get that balance right. I'm, I, I think there are plenty more characters out there who get that balance even worse. Yeah, I, that is maybe an ominous note to end on, but I, I do think you're right. I think <laughs> that I, I mean there is a. Uh, a parallel universe pretty close to our own where George goes out early on his first season and then the entire arc of Australian Survivor looks uh, very different, I think. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, but uh, thank God that didn't happen. Yes. Uh, so with that in mind, Dan, any uh, final kind of miscellaneous uh, parting thoughts here before we, uh, we wrap this up? No, just a reminder that God doesn't like Paige. I haven't heard confirmation from God himself on that one, but uh, could contrast his uh, emissaries here on Earth to uh, deliver that verdict. Um, not sure if God really likes Rogue either. Honestly, don't don't no. want to give her the wrong idea, but just uh, worth bearing that in mind. Yes. Yeah, God doesn't like either of them. I'm, I'm pretty confident. Yes. Uh, so I, God likes... I I mean, does God like... I, God probably is a fan of George. It seems like most, most viewers are at this point. Yeah, I think God likes pretty much everybody else. God, God, God's pretty chill. Yeah. Just just Paige and Rogue. Yes. Uh, so we will check in uh, probably in another year or two to see who God likes in the next batch of uh, Australian Survivor contestants. But until uh, then, Dan, where can people be finding you? Uh, you can find me uh, pretty much on Twitter. Dan Lipke uh, is my Twitter handle if you don't follow the sport of cricket. If you do follow the sport of cricket, then check me down at LiebCricket, L-I-E-B, Cricket. Yeah, so you can find me uh, not following the sport of cricket or really anything else uh, <laughs> over at uh, Dom HRV. Uh, we'll be back in here with more. Uh, I say more. We have not actually podcasted about Survivor 44 yet, but probably we'll cross that one off the list before too long. You know, merge episode coming up uh, tomorrow at the time of this recording. Eastern time, not Australian time. God knows what's, no. what's going on over there. But um, with all that in mind, uh, we will let you get out of here and we'll be back soon with more Survivor content, more other stuff as well. But until then, take care, everyone.